Well, happy Father's Day weekend, everybody. I'm glad you guys are here. If you're new with us, you have an outline in your uh, packet that you got when you came in, so you can get that out. Uh, we'll be in the Bible. We'll be in 1 Kings, so you can begin to find that in your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, go out to the blue tent afterwards, and they'll uh, give you one. Uh, they'll give you the NIV, which is the version that we primarily use in the room, though sometimes we'll use other versions at different times for different reasons. But, but please avail yourself of that. And since it's Father's Day weekend, I thought I'd share with you my family, like, like kind of all of them at once, uh, if you will. Uh, this is my wife, Teresa, and I on the bottom right-hand corner down here last Christmas out at the photo wall. If you were here for Christmas, you recognize that. Uh, up here on the top left is my daughter, Rain, and her son, Jacob. Uh, he's the one that recently I flew to Florida. He just graduated from college. Uh, he's 26, but he graduated with a degree in business. Uh, she's single, uh, divorced, probably will never marry, quite content as a single adult. Uh, this is my oldest son and his wife, Michael and Nikki, here on the top right. And uh, they were divorced and remarried, so they're a blended family. How many of you know blended families are complicated? Raise your hand if you know this, okay? So that's complicated a, a little bit. And she brought two boys into the family. Michael brought two boys in, and then they had the little girl, Abby. And in fact, one of the boys is not in here. He wasn't with us that Thanksgiving for these photos. Uh, and these two guys on the ends, uh, Cody and Nico, they're the ones that just joined the Marines. So they're at uh, Pendleton, and, and uh, you know, they're learning how to be <laughs> Marines. <laughs> they're, they're rookies, you know, <laughs> they're newbies. So they're figuring it out. In fact, Cody, I think, is, was going to come to this service. Cody, are you in this place? Hi, Cody. Thank you for being here on Father's Day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, and by the way, by the way, since it's Father's Day, this is the first time I think that Kenton has been in our service. Is this right, Lindsay? Yes, this is the first time that he's been able to be here. Kenton Stacy is here in the house. We are so thankful that you are here. It's amazing. He's the man who uh, was in Syria. A bomb exploded in the hospital and uh, uh, turned him into a quadriplegic like that. So he's done this for us so that we can be free, right? So it's amazing. So you guys say hi to the Stacy family. They have all four kids with them today. So it's pretty amazing. Um, anyway, and then this is our youngest, Ryan and Melanie. And they have this, he's almost five now. His name's Holden. And then they have the two-and-a-half-year-old twins. They're almost three. Now, I show you all this not just because it's Father's Day weekend, though that's cool, and I always like to share with you my family stuff because they're amazing, um, but uh, it's also illustrative of what we're going to struggle with today, what we're going to get inside of the Bible and look at today, which is uh, formally it is called idolatry, uh, but it is in, in our minds when we think of idolatry, we think of like a statue of a God that we would worship. Okay, that's normal how you would frame it. What I want to do is kind of blow up the idea so that you can kind of all wrap your minds around how idolatry is a part of our normal everyday life and how we all struggle with it on a normal basis. Now, I'll show you this in a, in a kid way. Uh, how many of you are only children? You are, you are like the only child of your family. Raise them up high. I'm just curious. I just want to see who you are. Okay, so your, your experience is very different from kids who have more kids, you know, like from families who have more kids, all right? So like, for example, Holden, when he was born, life was very different for Ryan and Melanie. 
when he was born, uh, Ryan worked in the clothing industry as a manager of product and merchandise. Melanie was the Hurley rep for Orange County, the most sought after rep position in the world from a surf industry perspective. And then Holden was born. And Holden came into the world and he was the prince. He was the prince. Everything was about him. Until he was about two. What do we call two-year-old stage? Terrible twos, I know. We should change our language to call it the terrific twos. Uh, because it's at the two-year-old stage that so many things happen that are actually quite spectacular. One of the biggest frustrations that all of you had when you were two was that you were way smarter than you could articulate. So your language skills had not caught up with your mental skills. So you developed mentally, you were smarter at that stage than you could express. This caused all kinds of frustration in you. And this is a big part of why you were such a handful at the tremendous, terrific two-year-old stage. All of you were. Now, there was another driving force behind that. The driving force was actually a philosophy and really a theology of life. You didn't understand it as such when you were two unless you were like a serious genius. But you were, you were the center of your world. Every time you cried, somebody came running. It was like amazing. When you pooped, people came running. When you needed anything, you needed a bottle, you needed a nurse, you needed whatever. It was amazing. All you had to do was open up your mouth and scream. In fact, it's cute, you know, because down this side of the facility, like if you walk down the hallway that way, it's this amazing corner. Nothing but singing down on that side where the nursery is. And, and okay, so all of us were this way until we hit two. Now in Holden's world, in this little boy's world, when he hit two, something else happened. The twins were born. It changed the world. He went from being the prince to being yesterday's news. <laughs> Overnight, instantaneously. Because it wasn't just one, it was two. Now it's complicated when there's one, but in his case, there were two. It was game, set, match. It was life changed. Never again to return to the same. Never again would he be the prince, if you will, because the princesses came to the world and they simply demanded. And all of a sudden, somebody else was crying and screaming in the middle of the night. And Holden, of course, went through the thing that all of you went through, which is a world shift where you realize that you're no longer the center of your universe. Having said that, you and I struggle with this our whole lives long. We want what we want, when we want it, the way we want it. This is idolatry. And there is a battle that's being waged in your life and in your families. Look at this verse from Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, it says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. This is the battle zone. This is the war that is waged day in and day out in our lives. And our decisions, our decisions happen every single day and our dedication is determined by those decisions this is why we must fight for our families there's there's no alternative i know we didn't understand this maybe when we got married and had kids but nonetheless it is a reality and it is a fight a war to be waged your whole life long and it is first and foremost a battle of the heart okay it is a battle of your heart and your soul of what you will worship and who you will worship in your life. And this is the way it is. 
and we're going to see it in a really, really cool Old Testament story, okay? You guys can go with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Kings 18, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then later on in the passage. How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hands if you grew up in church. Okay, a bunch of you guys did. So those of you who grew up in church, I did not. But those of you who grew up in church, this is a super famous story. This is the story of Mount Carmel that had become, and by the way, we're, if you're taking notes, we're in 870-ish uh, B.C., so we're traveling backward in time 3,000 years relatively, and into a world that is full of gods, full of gods and priests and priestesses, and particularly, you're going to be, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you're going to be introduced to the god Baal and the god Asherah. They are two dominant deities in the ancient Canaanite world. And the one, the god Baal was the god of the rain and the elements and the thunder and lightning and so forth. And the god Asherah was a female god and she was a fertility god. And so there was all of the worship that revolved around crops and, and there were all kinds of uh, really horrible practices that were, that were done and practiced in order to appease this god Asherah. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago as we launched the series on Elijah, we talked about how Elijah goes to this super evil king Ahab, who is the most evil king in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel to this date. And he had brought in this woman Jezebel. Jezebel. This is why you never meet a Jezebel ever in your life. You, I'm sure nobody has ever met one, nor will you ever. It's because of this story in Scripture. And she's the one who intro, uh, introduced Baal and Asherah in. And I, I taught you a couple of weeks ago, that's actually how you say this name. A lot of people pronounce it Baal. But remember, Baal is Batman. Baal is the god of the Old Testament Canaanites, okay? Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thought I'd remind you um, of it. Okay, look at, look at uh, what is it, chapter 18, verse 1, right? So after a long time, so Elijah comes, prophesies there's going to be a drought, so the drought ensues, all right? So after a long time, in the third year, the third year of the drought, so I want you to think about that for just a second, the realities of this. If you're familiar with biblical history, you remember that there was a time when a drought happened before in Egypt with the Israelites, and God had instructed who? Who was the guy who became the hero in the storyline of the drought. Joseph, that's right. He becomes the hero, and they have, he has the Egyptians store up for seven years to navigate and manage the drought that would last for seven years. Now, they had no preparation in this story. So for over three years, this drought and ensuing famine had happened. So after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go present yourself to the evil king Ahab. Go present yourself, and I will send rain on the land. So imagine, you have the word of the Lord come to you. I want you to be Elijah for just a second. Okay, you have the word of the Lord come to you and say to you, self, go to Ahab, the evil king, and present yourself to him who can slice you and dice you in two seconds. So I, I want you to just get inside of it for a second. This is a huge step of faith for Elijah. So what's it say he does with that word of the Lord? 
What's his next line say? So he went. See? Idolatry versus God focus. Okay? Who am I going to go with? Myself? My fears? Which all of us struggle with. Okay? I'm just saying. He goes and he presents himself to Ahab. And then it says just at the end of verse 2, and the famine was severe in Samaria. Now go down to verse 17. There's a whole experience with a prophet named Obadiah. I would encourage you to read it on your own. It's really cool. But I don't, we're going to deal with this other part. Look at verse 17. So Ahab and Elijah are together. When he saw, that is Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? See, because he just thinks it's Elijah, right? But it's God behind Elijah. He says, I've not made trouble for, the, for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. Notice how that's put, by the way. It's a bit of an aside, but you tend to view your spiritual life as just you. You don't think downline. So you, don't, you tend to not think about your children and your children's children and your great-grandchildren after them. Your life, when you follow God and when you deal with the issues of idolatry in your life on a daily basis, what happens is your family history changes. You just can't see it yet except through the eyes of faith. Your family's family, your, your, your downline generations are impacted by every day how we dis, uh, choose to live our lives. So it's, it's kind of this ongoing thing. Look at what he says. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So obviously she had a big stinking table. Okay, I'm just saying. That's like a monster table. So Ahab sent, isn't the Bible cool? Like it's just amazing what's in here. It's just trippy. Anyway. So Ahab sent word throughout uh, all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people, so all the people assembled, so Elijah goes before them and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said what? The people said nothing which is oftentimes the story of our lives, especially when it comes for the, with regard to the battle of our lives for our hearts with regard to our idols. So identify your idols by examining what has worth in your life. Like what has worth in your life? That's what Elijah is challenging them to do. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, okay? Now in their world, it was like literally they were following the god Baal and the god Asherah. Well, what were the gods Baal and Asherah about? Well, they followed after the things that got in the way of their relationship with God, which is the core idea of idolatry. It's anything that gets between you and your relationship with God. Anything or anyone that has worth or value to you apart from God that gets in the way of your relationship with God. So I just put, I just kind of spitballed some big ideas. Now in the Bible, in the New Testament, it, says it collapses all sin into three categories. Lust of the eyes, lust of the what? Flesh, and the, anybody know? 
the boastful pride of life, okay? So it summarizes sin into those three categories. So it would be like, it would include all things sexual brokenness, uh, but it, it, it's kind of like everything. So look at, like, is there something inherently wrong with money? This is not a trick question, okay? No, okay? How many of you in this section, you like money? Raise your hand if you like money. If you don't, let's talk afterwards. I'd just be intrigued by that worldview. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so there's nothing inherently wrong with money. Money's a great thing. Uh, you know, in, in America, our context, generally speaking, is, is you know, cash system. It's a cash system. In the ancient world, it would be much different in many respects. It would involve bartering and, you know, like how many cows you have, how many sheep you have, that kind of stuff, whatever. And I don't think any of you have cows or sheep. Maybe, but whatever. <laughs> or crops. You know, we don't hardly have any farmers in New Break. It's trippy. There's not much farmland right here. Anyway, so, so in their world, it's the same. But money's nothing wrong with money unless that's the primary locus of your security. Like when you can control it, you feel great. When you can't control it, there's the where the enemy plays. When you can't control it. And when you're finding security in it, if I have enough, then I'll worship God. And we'll go chasing all kinds of things. It's sort of like career. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16-year-olds I've met in my life, and I've lived a while, how many 16-year-olds I've met in my life who were doing awesome, they were amazing in student ministries, they were, they were just thriving and serving and doing all this cool stuff, and then they got their first job. And whoosh, away they went. They were gone. What happened? Well, they got a job. And when I would meet them somewhere, I'd say, where'd you go? And they'd go, oh, well, I got a job. Well, why aren't you in worship anymore? Well, because I have to work on Sundays. You do know we have a Saturday night. Ooh, I didn't think of that. Uh, whatever. Is there something wrong with a career? Is there something wrong with getting a first job? No. I personally believe children, generally speaking, ought to get jobs way earlier than they do. If you doubt that, uh, hashtag and Google uh, failure to launch. Anyway, uh, you know, so no, careers are not bad things. They're wonderful things. It's just that careers can get in the way. A family, uh, having the babies, uh, the dynamics of family, it just sucks you out. And whoosh, where'd that guy go? He had a kid. Gone. Three years later, re-enters. And I see him, and he goes, hey, Pastor Mike, remember me? I go, kinda. I, I know your face. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll commonly ask, what happened to you? Well, it's a long story. Had a baby. Had another one. Totally took my legs out from under me. And they'll often, if they feel comfortable enough with me, articulate the drama and saga that they got <laughs> involved in, trying to, trying to fix their lives apart from God. It didn't work. And so, bam, there they are again. So it's trippy. Wonderful things. Ha are having babies bad? No. They're awesome, right? Messy. Complicated. Accomplishments, the same thing. All of these things can become gods, if you will. We don't often think of it like this. That's why I'm trying to help ourselves to get a kind of wrap around it. That's why we have to give ourselves the gift of decision. Notice the Israelites. Elijah's telling them all this, but they 
say nothing. They waver between two things. Those of you who know me, you know one of my big struggles in my life is worry and anxiety. I do, them, I do that a lot because I can't maybe control the situation. I want the situation to be different, and so I can worry, and worry will take me away from faith in God. So I don't know what your idol is, but I want you to get it in your mind right now. What is your idol? What is the thing that tends to sidetrack your relationship with God? Gets you out of a worship experience, gets you out of... Uh, you know, your devotional life gets you out of serving. You don't serve anywhere in the church, whatever. What is that thing that's in your life? It could be a person or a thing, but I want you to get your mind wrapped around it. Like, what is it in you that waylays you spiritually, okay? Got it? How many of you have the thing in your mind? Raise your hands. You have the thing in your mind. Okay, we'll pause. No, no. <laughs> I have to go on, but you can multitask, okay? <laughs> I just want you to. I, I just want you to be... Uh, whatever, like honest, if I could put it. Now, for me, it's worry. So this past week, uh, one of my uh, favorite devotionals I get is from Rick Warren, and I'm a friend of Rick's, and he did this whole thing on worry. It isn't anywhere, by the way. You might want to take a picture of it. I just thought I'd, it'd be helpful for you guys. Um, and Rick is working out of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus in Matthew 6, and he's talking about worry, Jesus is, and, and so Rick puts it in kind of grabbable language, like worry is unreasonable, right? It's unnatural, birds don't worry, they just fly around um, and get seeds, right? <laughs> they don't even plant the seeds, they just go around and get them, right? It's like crazy. Um, it's uh, not helpful, it's unhelpful. Can any of you live a little bit longer by worrying about it? Uh, I told the people last night and in the first service, Karen, your wife hit the hospital last night, two nights ago with pneumonia, and there's some heart issues. Good. So no more heart issues. That's a God thing, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, when will she come out of the hospital? Okay, good. That's awesome. Uh, and, and so, you know, like Karen, just like me, when I go to the hospital, whatever, all of you, when you get health issues, you can't, worry doesn't make me live any longer. It doesn't do anything. The only thing that can impact how long I live is my God, who says that the Bible says my days are numbered, and that there's a plan and purpose for my life, and my goal, my worry, my concern, needs to be about living the will of God, not worrying. And then it's unnecessary. Um, you know, I loved it, though. Anyway, this is how I do it. may not be relevant to you. You maybe don't uh, struggle with worry. But see, worry is like a feeling that reminds me of my idolatry. Do you get it? Like, so when I worry, it's, a, it's like a... I've just trained myself, like kind of like Pavlov's dog. So I, I've just learned that when I worry, it's a sign in my life that I'm, I'm, I'm taking too much control. Okay, so it's just, it's just another way. I know it's not a little statue that I worship, but it is. You get it? It's just different. And indecision is still a decision. Notice they, they decide to do nothing. Okay, they just go, oh, whatever. Is that what you're doing? Like, how long will you waver between two decisions? And anything can get this way. Dating. Dating. Like, uh, like people who, you know, they're single for whatever reasons. They're divorced or just never married or starting into the deep waters of dating. Is dating wrong? Is it? No. 
No, Danny's not wrong. Under the right context, right? Under the right circumstances. It can be awesome or it can be hell on earth. <laughs> so like, so like if, if you're Christ-centered, okay, you want to date somebody who is what? Christ-centered. Yeah, this is not rocket science, okay? This, look, I celebrated my 43rd wedding anniversary Wednesday, okay? 43 years. So I've been doing this a while. Well, for like two weeks, Teresa and I have been using the story of our anniversary to share our faith. Because anywhere I go, you know, you begin conversation with a server or person or whatever, and you just talk, you know, how's it going? Good, I'm, man, I'm about to celebrate my 43rd wedding anniversary. Now, why am I doing that? Because they're going to ask me a question. What's the question? Yeah, how do you do that? Like, you know that that's becoming increasingly rare. 43 years, like, that's, in, that's like on us. That's on the downside of the bell curve. Anyway, so then I get to tell them. I can answer it in a lot of different ways, but ultimately I come back to the one who is the key to my marriage. And as wonderful and awesome as Mother Teresa is, she's not the key. Who's the key? God. God's the key to marriage, period. You could think it's, oh, she's the most amazing person on the planet. Not sure what a relationship with Jesus is like, but whatever. Call me in two years. Tell me how that's going. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. It's the way it is. This is normal. And I love in this passage, Elijah challenges us to test. Look at what he does. Look at verses 22 through 24. He says, test the gods. I love it. It's so trippy. A lot of people don't see that this is even in the Bible. Look at verse 22. Then Elijah said to the, all the prophets and Ahab and all them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now he's, he's trying to build the drama, if you will. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then, you guys, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he challenges the gods to a test. It's such a cool thing in the Bible. And you have to honestly assess what your idols require of you. Like, do they require you to perform? Because God, of the scripture, he doesn't require you to perform. He gives everything to you as a gift of grace. But the other gods in your life, you will have to perform every day of your life. You will have to sweat. You'll have, you'll, and we'll read about it. Uh, and they'll cause you destruction. Any other god in your life, career. If you sacrifice your life, on the altar of career, it will require everything and it will cause your destruction. Uh, any idol will cause you de destruction. It's only a matter of time. I'll prophesy to you, the life ahead for you is nothing but drought and famine. It may take a while. It takes a while for the brooks of your life to dry up, for the fruit of your life to go bare, but it will come. 
As surely as tomorrow follows today, it will come. And it always does. And those gods will never be able to answer the cry of our souls. Look at the story. Look at the story. We're going to read all of this, 25 through 29. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, he's starting to dig, okay? He's starting to dig. Since there's so many of you, call on the name of your God. So he's it's like legit calling them out. Call on the name of Baal and Asherah, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name. Now this is, gets you into the classic ancient world of worship and how they did it in the, in, the, uh, in the Canaanite religions, if you will, okay? So then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So this is a long stinking time, like four or five hours or whatever. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. Listen to me, there never will be. There'll be no relationship that can answer the cry of your heart in the way God's built you to do that. No kids, no career, no money, no nothing. There never will be a response. No answer. And then they danced around the altar that they had made. Now, this is really funny, okay? Um, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps. Oh, now, this is really cool. Okay, um, my professor in my graduate school is the major contributing editor of the NIV Study Bible. The Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament was a guy named Ron. Ron taught me this because uh, he got his PhD in ancient Ugaritic from Dapsi University. He's like a whatever. He's a genius. <laughs> anyway, so I have this word circled. He said, he, shout louder. He said, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Okay? Now, the NIV translators cleaned up the word. Okay, so the, the word busy, I have it circled. I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word. Everybody say sig. Sig. Yeah. The first definition of the Hebrew word sig is pooping. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not even exaggerating. If you had the tools to do it, you could do it yourself. The word sig in Hebrew, the most common interpretation is pooping. So he's like, is your God traveling? Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? It's hysterical. You can't even believe what's in the Bible. So cool. Best book ever. Maybe he's sleeping. It must be awakened. So they shout. Oh, oh yeah. So they shouted louder. Now they start slashing themselves with spears and swords as was their custom until the blood flowed. So the priests in the ancient world believed that if they slashed themselves by the, for the gods and like, like danced around, that the blood splattering would somehow appease the gods so that they would give crops, basically. I know it's unusual, right? Uh, and then a midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time uh, for the evening sacrifice came but there was no response, so no one answered, and no one paid attention, and they never will. Now, I'm going to show you something. Therese and I use this with the kids. You might take a picture again. It doesn't exist anywhere except on the screen. We use this with parenting when the boys were growing up. We learned this when we were young marrieds. 
how to get the word of God in you because that's your, really one of your sole protections from idolatry in your life is to have the, the scriptures inside of you, the values. So it's hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. And it's called the word hand. We learned it from our discipleship process, which was navigators uh, in the early days. So hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. And it's just a great way of getting scripture in you. And like uh, Cody and, or Cody, uh, Riley and Abby are staying with us for three weeks. And so Teresa got, how many letters are in the alphabet? 26, very good. And so she picked 26 verses, they're short little verses, um, like for B, it's like be still and know that I am God. Okay, so it's like verses. So they're memorizing while they're here, 26 verses uh, so that you get the scripture in them. And then she gives them like little rewards for like cookies for memorizing a verse. Now, a lot of you, just in this section, but a lot of you, you don't believe you can memorize scripture anymore, or you, you think it's just too big of a deal. Riley is 15, Abby's 10. They're memorizing 26 verses in 26 days. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, D, K. What comes next? Elemental. Very good. See, you can memorize. You just have to figure out what your cookie is. You need to figure out what your cookie is. There's nothing wrong with giving yourself a cookie for memorizing a verse. Yeah, big ones. Chocolate chip. Maybe ice cream. How many of you like chocolate, chi uh, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough? Ice cream? Oh my gosh, it's the bomb, right? So whatever works, okay? I'm just saying you gotta get it in you. And you have to consider whether there's someone or something better, and there is. Go down in your Bibles to verse 35 so amazing. So there's this whole thing about water, and of course the fire never comes for these guys, because, you know, they're just challenged. <laughs> but go, go down to verse uh, 35. Uh, so they're drenching uh, Elijah's sacrifice with water, all these jar four jars of water. At the time of sacrifice, oh sorry, verse 35, the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your what? Servant. You have to decide every day. Are you, is your existence to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Or is your existence to serve yourself? Or even others first. God calls you to be a servant of others, but... When you don't have him first, that gets crazy, okay? So he describes himself as a servant. Uh, and and uh, anyway, you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. Then when all the people, they see this, they fall prostrate, which means they fall on their face on the ground and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, the true God answers simple prayers. You don't have to be a like rocket science with prayer language to pray correctly. And the true God bled for us. You don't have to bleed for him. And the true God has fire in our lives. 
but it ultimately takes a decision. We must decide, is he going to be our God or not? You know, follow your career. Follow your relationships. Follow your money. Follow whatever. But at the end, you're going to come back around because the Lord is the Lord, and you have to decide to follow him. And when it comes to parenting, really the greatest contribution, as Andy says, the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. That's what we do as a church community. I mean, you may not have kids. Maybe you'll never have them. Maybe you don't have them yet. But we as a spiritual community, we all, you walk the halls. Those are all your kids. Like our student ministry, our kids ministry, like the summer jam camp thing. Maybe God wants you to volunteer for that and serve and pour your life into some kids. What's in the way? Now, one of my hero dads in our church, his name's Michael. And Michael, I, I just want to show you this video. We shot it this week with Marcus. He shot it for us. And Michael has a unique challenge in his life, but he still has this deep hunger to serve. He loves kids. He loves kids ministry. And he's one of my heroes. So listen to this. So this is Michael Amash. He's one of my hero dads in our church. He was on staff until about nine months ago when he thought he had just a headache and it turned into, what was it, stage four? Stage four brain, brain cancer. cancer. And we've been praying for him ever since. Obviously, he had to leave the staff. And he's, you're currently in chemotherapy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we will continue to pray for that. And yet you shared with me not long ago that you really desire to get back into serving and kids somehow. What is that? Describe for them, like, what is that in you that causes you to want to serve like that? Well, I mean, uh, being a role model for my daughters, um, you know, and they've seen me do, you know, do the serving. They come, they help, you know, they're... Oh, they help with you? They help. Oh, they, nice. they, you know, anytime we come in, if, you know, they want to go in the nursery because they love the nursery and... Yeah, that was his role on staff was he was in charge of the nursery. But before that, he was a super volunteer, <laughs> which is our leadership pathway. But, mm -hmm. but he's just such a great example of this because the chemo makes you tired, right? It does, yeah. It very Fatigue is probably the biggest thing. Like that's, yeah. that, that's been the toughest thing to deal with, especially having to basically take over the duties as, you know, with two daughters. And, How old uh, are they? They're 10 and 9. 10 and 9. Yeah. But you so. see them... Like you see your serving as a role model for them and then engaging them in serving already? Like it, it starts to change them? Yes, yes, yeah, it has actually. They're, um, and you know, I've had people share with me how Olivia and Ellie are both, uh, they love to invite people in to whatever's going on. You know, if it's a new, somebody new to whatever room they're in, oh, cool. they'll easily go and approach them and start talking to them. Like the new kids to make them Exactly, so that they're not, you know, so that... And how like old are they again? They're 10 and 9. 10 and 9! <laughs> 10 and so. 9, I'm telling you, man, I want to be like him. <laughs> and you see them as the church of the future. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. I mean, I really, I do, I pray, and, you know, I... I, I believe, I know they can. I know they have the tools. I know God's given them the tools to do, you know, yeah. to do the work. And Very cool. So, Very cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for your heart and just your love and, and who you are as a dad, as a husband, as just a guy in the church. God bless. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't that awesome? Just such a great guy. Will you pray for him? Write his name down, Michael. He's in chemo now, has been for a long time. 
But he understands this, and that is that his heavenly father went all in for him. And that, that's something he's discovered as an adult like me. He's come to that realization that God went all in for him. And so he responded to God in faith and you know, began his relationship with God. And kind of life has never been the same. Not perfect, challenging to be sure. I mean, how many of you are glad you don't have stage four brain cancer? Raise your hands, right? Like, like so you're super blessed today, right? That's why your gratitude journals are so important to you. And it's about next steps. It's, it's deciding what our next steps in our faith journey are. Uh, like when we have the next steps weekend, you know, go to the class and find out what your place is in, in serving in the ministry and, you know, kind of what you're doing in life. And, and maybe you've not been baptized since you became a Christ follower. So, you know, you grew up, maybe you were baptized as a little kid or whatever, uh, like I was as an infant type of thing. But like later on in life, I realized, oh, okay, I get what this is. I was actually in the army at that time. But so you need to get baptized since you began your relationship with Christ. And this is August 9th. All the campuses are going to gather together at Crown Point, And we're going to baptize a bunch of people. And it's the only place we ever gather as a multi-site every year. It's really, really cool. But maybe that's what you need to do. You need to get baptized. I, I don't know what it is for you. It's sort of, it could be different for every single one of you. I have no idea what it is. You, you have to know what it is. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to we'll kind of walk us through a prayer time right now. Um, for those of you who are new, I'll try and make this as understandable and as I can. But we're just going to spend some time thinking about what we've heard and experienced. And I'll pray for us and then we'll pray about some stuff. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like you to put your hand over your heart whichever hand you're comfortable with. Just like you to get in touch with the battle that's waged for your heart, the center part of you. Now I want you to lean into this. So take in a deep breath and hold it through your nose. Deep breath through your nose. Just hold it for a second. And let it out. Just think about God for a second. What he's speaking to you. Do it again. Deep breath. I want you to sort of just relax in the presence of God. Now I'm going to pray a verse over us. It's a verse that comes from Isaiah 26, verse 3 actually, Isaiah 26, 3. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a, ver a scripture verse. One of the great things you can learn to do is pray verses into your life and into the lives of others around you. But I'm going to just pray it. So uh, just listen to me and pray with me not out loud, but I'll just pray it into you, okay? Father, in Isaiah 26, 3, you promise, you say that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you. And so we fix our mind, our heart, our soul on you. We fix it on you. We make you the center of our thought right now. And so I pray, God, that your peace will fall like the fire. Your peace. Lord, that it might guard our hearts and our minds. Not just our minds, but our hearts. Not just our hearts, but our minds. In Christ Jesus. So be with us in these moments as we, we reflect about the idols, the battle, 
So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you're just there with God, but your life's not right with God. Like, like this is not. You know that's true. I, I may not know it. Nobody else may know it. But your life's not right with God. And the only way that this works is you must have your life right with God. And, and I'll lead us in prayer in a few minutes with regard to that. And then we can pray about that and kind of make that decision, if you will. That, but that's you. Your life's not right with him. Maybe you've never begun your relationship with him, but maybe, or maybe you have. But you've long gone away from that, and that's you. And you need to pray about that. Raise your hands up. That's me, Pastor Mike. I want to pray about that in my life. Raise your hands up. Now, for the others, and, and probably include those of us who just raised our hands, but others who, you, you know what the struggle is. You know what the idol, maybe there are several, but, you know, earlier when I asked that question, what's the idol you struggle with that gets between you and God? You know what it is. Raise your hands up. You know what it is. It's crystal clear. You, you got it. Yeah, so most of us have that clarity, okay? And that's very important in our lives to keep clarity about this. It's super important, okay? You can put your hands down. So let me pray over us and then I'll lead us in prayer, okay? So Lord, I pray right now that as we experience the reality of you and your fire in our lives, Lord, that you would be true to your word, which says, and it promises us, Lord, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And not only that, but then to cleanse us, to make our lives meaningful from your vantage point with the righteous ways of God that heaven will actually literally come to the earth because of our confession and honesty. In fact, the word also says that if, if we aren't honest with you, that we're like calling you a liar. And so we choose not to do that, but rather to confess our sins and ask for your fresh fire. And so Lord, we're going to pray together. So here the cry of our hearts. We know the words don't matter as much as the heart. So now you guys can pray with me and just repeat these little phrases after me. Father in heaven, thank you that you are the one true God. And you're the only one who can send fresh fire into my life. And so I ask for your incredible forgiveness that costs me nothing and cost you everything. But you gladly did it because you love me in amazing ways. And so I receive your gift into my life. I thank you for what you're doing inside of me. How you're going to change me day by day. At times, it will be extremely challenging for me. So give me more grace. Help me to take greater strides of faith in my daily decision-making that I can grow and become the person that you created me for. That is my sole desire. Thank you, God, for what you're doing this Father's Day weekend in my life. You are amazing. In Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand.